Welcome to For the Love of Brantford, a podcast about the evolving story of our community. This podcast is for everyone who holds a place in their heart for our beautiful city. I'm Nathan Etherington, the Program and Community Coordinator for the Brant Historical Society. I'll be sharing some information from the Brant Historical Society archives and other sources to share some history that you may not have learned in school. And I'm Andy Samwell, president of the Eagle Place Community Association, and I'm passionate about community. And for me, you'll hear about what's happening in our community now. And I'm Zila Ozels from the Brantford Public Library. I'll be speaking with experts to get an idea of where our community is going. If you have any questions or comments that you would like to share with us, fill in our feedback form on the podcast website at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB. We hope you join us each episode as we learn from each other and explore Brantford's past, present, and future. Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of For the Love of Brantford, where we explore the evolving story of our community. In this episode, we discuss various ways people spend their free time in and around Brantford. I'll share some history around drinking, a hypnotist, and the circus. And I'm happy to share that the Santa Claus Parade returns this year with lots of activities for families at Harmony Square. Also, Jennifer Middleton, events planner with the City of Brantford, shares information about other activities throughout the year. Finally, my favorite part of the episode, but I might be a little biased, I speak with Dana Sawchuk and Nicole Dahlmer about research they've done around how people use public libraries. Spoiler, public libraries are amazing and always there for you. Did they have anything to say about museums? No, sorry, just libraries. Well, uh, Brantford, Brant County, and Six Nation do have a lot of good cultural offerings, including museums and historical sites to visit. There's really so much to do in this area. Don't forget all of the community events everyone puts on. Right, Mandy. I know you're excited about the Santa Claus Parade. And I know Eagle Place Community Association plans a lot of events open to everyone throughout the whole year. One of my memories of things to do when I was a kid is we actually went for a visit to the Brantford Public Library when it was in the Carnegie Building. My sister was doing a research project on Pauline Johnson. So we came to downtown Brantford and it was nighttime and it was the first time I've ever been in downtown Brantford in nighttime. And I still remember that visit today. Hmm. I have yet to create memories here in Brantford, but one event I've heard a lot about that I'm hoping will return so I can experience it is the International Villages. That's definitely a favorite among many. Okay, okay, let's get started so I can get to the Santa Claus Parade. So what was there to do in early Brantford? I assume a lot of the time there was drinking involved? Well, in the early settler days, drinking of intoxicants was the recognized custom, with taverns found every few miles along the main country road, with each village having two or three licensed places. General stores usually had a grog department. Brantford becomes a town in 1847, and the town inspector reports in 1854 with 88 applications for licenses, with 53 being granted. The population was around 4,000 people at this time. 
things changed in 1856 when bylaw 110 was passed that stated every saloon shall be required to have one parlor, one uh, bar room, and at least three oyster stalls sufficiently large to accommodate six persons each and shall pay for the said license the sum of 10 pounds. This clearly upsets some, as two years later, a petition is presented to council signed by 262 individuals to repeal bylaw 110. The next year, 18 taverns and saloons were issued licenses. By 1875, council stipulated that they not exceed 60 licenses. During those days, when there were no liquor licenses in Brantford, I'd just escape outside the city limits to find a drink. Many residents did this, Mandy, and drinking establishments was one of the first things that you saw when you came into the town, such as the story of the Bucket of Blood. The Bucket of Blood was located on the outskirts of town at the corner of Tolgate and Hardy Roads, and it served as a halfway house. This red-painted inn's owner, who was simply known as Two-Gun Kate because she carried two loaded pistols, and was known, on occasion, to fire a shot over the heads of unruly patrons. Young men would rent a team and carriage and accompanied by their lady friends to take a ride past the inn. On warm summer afternoons, the girls sat out on the second story balcony in their negligees, enticing customers to stop in for a drink. It is said the young ladies tilted their ruffled parasols and turned their heads away from the lusty scene. Wow, I don't know that I would like Bucket of Blood. With all this drinking, the temperance movement was probably asking for another license ban, right? In February 1895, a delegation was received by council to, quote, demand the city fathers should, in the manner they thought best themselves, reduce liquor licenses in the city and thus remove temptation, end quote. The women in attendance were accommodated in the anteroom. Some of the arguments used back then were kind of interesting. They note that 13 months ago, by a majority of 1,000 voters, the electors declared a total prohibition of the drink traffic. They highlighted that Hamilton did so, and commitments in the police court had been reduced by an equal proportion to the number of licenses reduced. Another quotes a Dominion statistician who said, of the 31,000 prisoners in Canada, 96% of them came from the drinking class. By comparison at this time, Toronto had one drinking place for every 1,280 residents, while Brantford had one drinking place to every 790 residents. Montreal, whose crime rate was much higher, had a ratio of one drinking place to 349 residents. On September 16, 1916, as a war measure, The edict came into effect in Ontario, banning the sale of beer and spirits in hotel bars. This reduced the number of establishments to just 12 in Brantford when the population was 25,000. Certainly a change since 1854. What else is there to do other than drink in town? Well, on June 30th, 1896, a hypnotist named Mr. Flint arrives in the city and has a large audience that he entertains at the Stratford Opera House, located at 140 Colburn Street. In one experiment, where two fellows made the most ardent protestations of affection to a cunningly draped broomstick, 
the men were restored to normal conditions while in the act of pressing burning kisses on the unresponsive broom hand. The event of the evening was a circus scene depicted by a row of fakirs who haunt the entrance and disposed of homely refreshments. The center man sold tickets to the sideshow and in stentorian tones directed the attention to the phenomena which might be seen within its confines. Others dispensed of candy, popcorn, and lemonade while extolling their wares at the top of their voice. Oh, sorry. I was distracted by my cunningly draped broomstick. That is one kind of circus. Can you tell us about a time the real circus came to town? Well, on July 12, 1904, an article appeared announcing that the circus had come to town and says, quote, the heart of a small boy is full to overflowing, while the thought of the older ones revert to the times of the mighty Barnum when they too followed the procession through various streets, saw the bearded women, the notorious Jumbo, and all other wonderful and interesting things that make the circus the most fascinating thing that ever happened, end quote. Another article mentions that this circus was organized by the Four Paw and Cell Brothers. More than one of the youthfuls awoke at three o'clock in the morning and tried to steal out of the house. Some succeeded and some didn't, but those who were lucky headed to the Market Street Station in the pouring rain to welcome the biggest thing in the world to the telephone city. At 11 a.m., the parade starts with some gandy wagons, some mounted men, some 16 elephants, followed by a score of camels. One or two cages were open so that the public got a look at polar bears and lions. They headed to Parkdale, with thanks to Joffrey Moyer from the library, for confirming that this area was bound by Erie Ave, Brighton Row, Mohawk Road, and Walter Street. However, one spectator remarked, it was the same hay wagon that was there last year and sounded pretty disappointed. With the circus in the city, I can imagine it came with some performances as well as some chaos. Well, there were two bicycle performers, one who looped the loop and another who jumped over the backs of elephants. The animals exhibit included 14 polar bears, a sacred cattle from India, and the only saddleback tapir native to South America in captivity, and the baby elephants and cannibals attracted a lot of attention. Now onto the trouble, as reported on July 14th, that a circus man, whose name is unknown, winded his way into the shed for the Brantford Coal Company around noon for the purpose of, quote, sleeping off a debauch, end quote. The man tripped and fell overboard into a pile of coal some distance below. Being in an intoxicated state, he wasn't discovered for two hours. The men were still drawing coal, so the man sunk down and started going through the coal chute. Around two o'clock, he wakes up and starts sounding the alarm to the workers who rush to discover one hand hanging out of the coal chute. They tie a rope to the man's hand and over the course of an hour, free the uninjured man from the coal chute. Jen, thanks for joining me today. Could you introduce yourself for the folks listening at home? Thanks for having me, Mandy. I am the coordinator of special events with the City of Brantford. I've been in my role for almost 12 years. 
That sounds like a pretty exciting job to have. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what it's like to have a job planning events for the city? Absolutely. I believe I have the best job on the planet. I love planning events for our community. Um, we're able to offer free programming and events uh, all year round, starting at the beginning of the year and ending at New Year's Eve uh, in Harmony Square and not just in Harmony Square, but Canada Day, park openings, other things that happen around the city. So there's a lot going on and it just brings a lot of joy to me to see the, the happiness and the memories that are created amongst the community. Yeah, we actually had a great time together doing some park openings and the spl- and the Toot the Park splash pad opening over the summer. That was a lot of fun. Um, are there any stories or memorable moments that you can share with us? Um, well, I always love telling this story. So being a part of this role for so long, I've gotten to know a lot of families since they were young. And there's a mother and daughter that that actually attended every single park opening this year. They took the bus to every single location, except for one, because the bus didn't go there. And they are so committed to Harmony Square events. And it's been amazing to watch uh, her daughter grow up. And she's at 13 right now, turning 14. So she'll be able to start volunteering soon. So I don't even have to train her because she knows events inside and out because she's been coming to them for so long. So that's my favorite story to tell about our community, but there's being able to watch people grow up and um, getting feedback from the community on things they'd like to see is also something that I take into consideration. Uh, We have lots of things for the community to do. So you can't say you're bored in this city because there's tons of things to do. Oh, that's wonderful. I actually uh, got the chance to to meet those folks over the summer too at the park openings. So I know exactly who you're talking about. And I thought that was really cool that they were traveling to all the park openings. So there's some pretty exciting news because we're getting to have the Santa Claus parade this year. And I know that at one point we weren't sure if that was going to be able to happen and all of that, but we're getting to have the Santa Claus parade. Could you tell us a little bit more about how that all happened and what that's going to be like? Yeah, absolutely. The city um, did not want to see another year go by without the parade and everybody, all departments are playing a big role in pulling this off in time. We had a month to plan it and right now we're sitting at over 50 floats and that just keeps climbing by the day. So it's going to be a fabulous parade for everybody. It starts at Stanley Street and ends at Harmony Square. Uh, you, you can stand anywhere along the route. Uh, there'll be candy canes handed out. There'll be music. There'll be bands. There'll be lights. There'll be everything you could possibly imagine. So, oh, and you can't forget Santa. Uh, and then when Santa gets to Harmony Square, he's going to come into Harmony Square, do a Christmas tree lighting. He does pictures that you can get a free take-home picture with Santa. And Mrs. Claus is going to join him there as well. Um, so you don't want to miss the after party in Harmony Square. Uh, Harmony Squirrel will be there there'll be a little mini ferris wheel free hot chocolate from tim hortons cotton candy you name it oh letters to santa you can't forget to mail your letters to santa we're going to send them off with him when he leaves back to the north pole so it's a great evening so parade starts at six and then the after party as soon as santa hits harmony square wonderful and what was the date for that saturday november 26th perfect i'm i'm super excited about that We always go every year. So I'm like really excited to see it back again. So there's so many other amazing, amazing things to do in Brantford. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the other things that are coming up? 
Absolutely. So the next thing on our calendar is the skate exchange, which is starting in December and we're looking for skates. So if you could go into your basement, go into your garage, check out those skates that aren't being used anymore and bring them in. And then on top of that, if you need a pair of skates, they're absolutely free. So you can come in, try them on. If we have your size, they're yours to take home. Uh, The rink at Harmony Square should be up and running uh, first week of December, depending on the weather. So you'll want to lace up, get down there um, and enjoy uh, what we have to offer with the beautiful outdoor rink that we have down there. The first skate exchange is the December 7th and then the 14th. And then we jump into January for the remainder ones. And all that information can be found on harmonysquare.ca. And if you have skates to drop off, there's locations across the city. There's the library, Wayne Gretzky Sports Center, community centers, and all that information again is found on our website. Then after the skate exchange, get ready to ring in the new year in Harmony Square with three bands the headliner is going to be a youtube tribute band really looking forward to that and then at midnight my favorite part is the fireworks so you can enjoy a probably seven to eight minute uh fireworks show there's lots of people that come down just for the fireworks uh you don't want to miss it so uh it's a it's a it's a really good night so it sounds like harmony square is going to be the place to be on new year's then that's right that's right that's pretty exciting. A photo booth, hot chocolate, lots of fun things for the families to do. Um, and also, too, what reminded me when you were talking about the skate exchanges uh, is that I'm pretty excited to see all of the neighborhood ice rinks get up and running once we get the cold enough weather for the volunteers to get that ice started, too. So they'll be yeah, skating. We are, we are very lucky to have neighborhood friends who dedicate their time and their expertise to making those rinks possible. So a big shout out to our community volunteers for making those rinks usable for families and friends in the, in the winter. Um, and where would people find all of the different city events? So um, you can go on to the Brantford calendar, which is brantford.ca. And then you go to things to do, and then you go to city calendars, and then you can check out all the events that are happening there. Or you can go directly to uh, harmonysquare.ca to get all the information that's happening in Harmony Square. Um, The parade is on brantford.ca slash Santa Claus parade. Um, Basically, you can get all your information from the city of Brantford website and you can just type in the search engine and it will take you directly to anything you're looking for. If you can't remember all the things I just said. (laughs) And if you're uh, hosting some kind of event in the city as well. Um, people can add those to the calendar as well or absolutely the calendar is for the community and for city events so if you're hosting an event to the park you can go on there and let the community know and it's actually well well reviewed and well used so don't be afraid to upload your events so that the community knows what's going on all right that sounds awesome so for anybody who's looking for things to do in Brantford the city calendar is a great place for for that. And um, we'll actually include all of the things that you're talking about in the show notes. So all the links will be there so people can find those things easily. So that's great. Okay. Well, thanks for joining me, Jen. I appreciate you uh, chatting with me today and I look forward to the Santa Claus parade and all of the new years and skate exchange and everything else we talked about. That's awesome. Thanks, Mandy. We look forward to seeing you and the community out as well. Hey, can you please introduce yourselves? 
Hi, Zila. Uh, my name is Dana Sachuk. I am a professor of sociology uh, at Wilfrid Laurier University. And my name is Nicole Delmer. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Health, Aging and Society at McMaster University. And I'm also the associate uh, director of the Gilbrea Center for Studies on Aging. Yeah, and we should we should also say that um, the other collaborator and, and co-author on our project uh, is Mina Lee, and she's a graduate of the Master of Arts program in sociology, um, also from Wilfrid Laurier. Can you please tell us about your research about library usage among older adults? Our project is about how older adults in Ontario, so people over the age of 55, use libraries and, and particularly how and why they use libraries to access magazines. Um, we also looked at how that library access and magazine access and reading changed during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so this was a project that actually arose from some previous research that Mina and I conducted on older women and, and how they read and use women mag women's magazines in, in particular. Um, and when we interviewed women over the age of 55 for that study, um, we found that many of them got most or all of their magazines at their local public library branches. And so since that was a, a finding that really stood out to us, we, we wanted to expand our study to, to look at library users of all genders and, and see how they use public libraries to read all sorts of magazines and not just women's magazines. So it was at that point where we invited Nicole to join us because of her background in library and information science and also because of her expertise in aging studies. And I was thrilled to be invited. You know, as Dana just mentioned, my background is in library and information science, and I've worked as a librarian. Uh, but my research and, you know, my current position is really focused on gerontology and, and uh, experiences in later life. So I've really enjoyed kind of fusing these two interests in my research. And so, you know, in addition to the amazing work that um, I've been able to work with with Dana and with Mina, um, I've also been working on a, another project um, that's called Aging in Place with Public Libraries. So really, I'm interested in, in learning from older adults um, how the public library factors into their everyday life to really understand how public libraries, and especially public library branches, can be spaces of social connection and social inclusion among older adults who are living in the community because we know that social isolation and social exclusion are so prevalent in the general population as well as amongst older adults as well. And this has only been heightened during the pandemic as well. And so uh, as part of this project, um, I've spoken with 51 older adults living around Ontario, both in urban and, and rural environments, just to really understand how do they use their public library? How does it factor in? to their everyday life and, and why do they use it? What are kind of the main ways that libraries support older adults? I think like library services and engagement across the life course, libraries really enable the everyday and, and that means different things to different older adults. Um, what we found in our conversations is that uh, libraries really support leisure that might be uh, different interests or hobbies and these can be new hobbies or hobbies that have really uh, or interests that have really followed that person throughout their life course. And this is, you know, not only through the collections and materials, but through different programming, you know, thinking about perhaps painting or, or book clubs or things like that. Um, I think the library supports older adults in 
either facilitating or really sustaining social connection. And this can be in multiple ways. You know, you can have those intentional uh, meetings at the library where you meet a friend for for a coffee or, or a chat, or the library also facilitates, I think, those inadvertent social connections to bumping into someone or even um, being able to build relationships with library staff. I know a lot of the older adults that I spoke with really valued um, staff members who, who know them and might be able to recommend a new book or who can say, you know, if they see them, oh, such and such book has just come in. And I know because staffing was really varied over the pandemic, um, some of the older adults I spoke to um, really missed getting to see kind of the, the regular staff that they would, were used to seeing pre-pandemic. And I think the library also really facilitates social connection in terms of intergenerational relationships. Um, not only, you know, if you have an all ages program, but also thinking about grandparents who are bringing their grandchildren to different programs. Also mentioned, are, I think, are the practical elements um, that libraries facilitate access to. So thinking about printers and, and photocopiers, you know, having computers or, or Wi-Fi for folks who might not have those tools at home or for whom, uh, you know, budgets might be tight and they don't have um, heaps of data to be able to use at home so they can head to the library for that. Um, and I think in our research, both in, in, in speaking with older adults in the magazine study and in my, my own work, library space is really crucial. Um, you know, it's a place where folks can, can stop on their daily walks, you know, pick up a magazine, take a break. And I think, too, we're seeing more and more um, the library being an important place for kind of weather sheltering in a way it's a it's a warm place when it's really cool outside as we're heading into our winter months now and and in the summer it, it's certainly a, a reprieve from from the heat especially in southern Ontario and not all folks are able to afford or, or have access to air conditioning at their homes. Can either of you speak to kind of if or how library usage changes through someone's life? Yeah, and I think I think the question really gets also to a, a point that we heard repeatedly uh, in our interviews uh, in the magazine study, which was that you know people um, were often lifelong users of the library, like using the library 20, 30, 40, you know, 50 years, right? And, and so um, that 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 was part of. Um, the importance of the library, you know, even if the how they use the library shifted over their lives, the the importance and the constant role of the library in their lives was 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 a theme that um, that came up. Um, in terms of using magazines, what was interesting was that um, sometimes people would talk about, um, you know, when they were, you know, having a young family and working, it was more convenient for magazines to be delivered to their homes. Uh, where they could just pick it up when they when they you know had a spare moment but now that they had the time as Nicole was was mentioning they could they could go to the library and pick it up and perhaps at that stage in life too no longer no longer working perhaps with a sort of a limited or a fixed income then the the ability to get magazines for free at the library also um, became important for several of the people we talked to that that was in fact one of the main things that they liked about um, getting magazines at, at the library, that not only the variety of titles that were available, um, you know, that they never would have been able to access had they had to pay for it, but the very fact that the, the magazines themselves were, were available at, at no charge. If I can just maybe pick up on what Dana was saying, it reminded me too that 
for a, a lot of older adults, they were trying to downsize and ensure that they weren't accumulating more things. And so for them being able to use uh, the library to access magazines and books, for example, was really important so that they weren't, I suppose, cluttering uh, their their home. So it was, it was really interesting how, you know, such a, a practical matter as, as storage space uh, also factored into their library use as well. Uh, so my last question is maybe a little like speculative, but I was wondering if uh, you two had any thoughts around um, maybe how library usage um, might change as younger generations start aging into older adults. Sure, I really, I, I guess I, I see the kind of role of libraries as a, a community hub continuing to evolve. You know, the library is this key meeting place as a creative space. I, I can only imagine that maker spaces will continue to expand. Um, and, you know, I know different public library systems are, you know, incorporating kitchen spaces into their maker spaces. And, and so I'm excited to see how that will grow and, and evolve with different community needs. And, and I'm, you know, similarly, I think tool libraries as, as well, you know, seed libraries, you know, as we're broadening our, our conceptualization of what collections and materials can look like in libraries, I, I think this will continue to engender a, a lot of support from different communities. And then I, I, I can only imagine that the changes that we'll continue to see, you know, in our kind of political, economic and environmental state will really impact how folks are using the library. You know, as housing prices become, I think, untenable for so many individuals, I can see shared housing becoming more and more popular. And as a result of kind of shared housing or shared living situations, I can see the role of the library as that third place, the place that's not your home, that's not your work, being even more important. You know, it's a place where people can go to escape, perhaps, to relax. And it's so key that I think the library is one of those places where there's no expectation of payment. And, and you know, I think with climate change as well, I, I can only imagine that the library being a place that offers some reprieve from the weather, whether that's, as I mentioned before, a really cool, cool weather outside or hot weather outside. I, I can only imagine that the library space will become increasingly crucial for, for more and more individuals. In terms of our the research that we've been um, conducting, um, I mean, we know from other research that younger generations are more likely to use the digital format, right, to read books and magazines uh, right now. Um, so it'd be interesting to see to what extent that um, persists as younger users age. Um, and I say that because um, you know I don't think we can assume that younger users people who are young now are always going to have the same level of uh, desire to engage with digital technologies or the same level of uh, ability to engage with digital technologies. Um, and I say this because some of the reasons that the people we interviewed uh, shied away from digital magazines, as, as I said before, um, didn't have to do with their technical ability, but had more to do um, with accessibility. Right. So some people we talked to, um, you know, commented on, you know, the screens or the font sizes being um, hard on their vision or with um, like tablets being less comfortable to hold than, than paper magazines. 
And so I think um, if, if those accessibility issues aren't addressed, then we may again in the future see a, um, a drop off or a hesitancy about reading of digital library resources, um, even among those generations who have, have grown up with, with such technologies. Um, and so I think it will be interesting to see how libraries respond to, to different groups and different communities, potentially um, different preferences uh, in terms of reading material, um, you know, and not only in the future, but right now. And so, you know, as we move into uh, a different phase of, of the pandemic, uh, like Nicole, I don't think the pandemic's over, but, you know, hopefully eventually as we move into the, the post-pandemic era, um, I think it might be worthwhile for public libraries to look at um, whether and how their, their patrons of different ages are embracing some of the digital technologies um, that in theory are supposed to make those um, library resources more accessible, but uh, that in practice don't always, uh, don't always work that way. Thank you. I really appreciate both of you sharing your research and further thoughts on <laughs> my questions. If people wanted to learn more about the research, what might be the best way for them to find out about you guys? Uh, if folks wanted to get in touch with me, this is Nicole speaking. I have a website, nicoledalmer.ca, or I'm happy to receive emails at, at any time. I love talking about this, this topic. And I can be reached at dalmern at mcmaster.ca. And I would also be happy to receive emails and contact from people interested in our, our research. At um, I'm available at dsochuk at wlu.ca. Um, and people might also be interested in looking at the, the written up version of the research results. So we have an article coming out in the new year in a, a journal called Leisure Studies, uh, and they have a special issue on uh, leisure lockdown. And so um, you can read the full, full details of our research, um, again, conducted with Mina Lee as well uh, in that journal. I'm glad they don't have any more coal shoots around. That does not sound like a fun experience. I don't know. I think being around back then sounds like a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> well, we have different ideas of fun because <laughs> I would rather stay at home and maybe just like read a book with a nice cup of tea. <laughs> I just like the like uh, looking at the things in the past. Sometimes you look at the way that they word things or the things that is are like outlandish to them back back then that nowadays we think oh yeah like this is this is commonplace we don't even don't even think about it anymore I definitely like listening to your past research it's interesting to think that they had those animals just carted around <laughs> with them whereas today it's like that's not really allowed anymore it's really funny uh, you mentioned that because oddly museums are clumped together with zoos because we have collections and it's the same thing. It's just their collections are alive for some reason, because there's so few zoos, they got lumped in with museums a lot. And that's another great thing to do in the Brantford area. We have a zoo here. Um, are you talking about Twin Valley? Yeah, Twin Valley Zoo. So I guess it's technically in the county, right? Technically in the county, but they are... They just changed their name to, I think, Twin Valley Nature Park. They have animals you can go visit. Uh, I live. I don't think they have any polar bears, though. 
No, <laughs> I do drive by that area and I often see peacocks that have escaped. <laughs> to me, it's just astounding that they had 14 polar bears there. Like that, like I'd be scared of having one close by me, but, but 14. And then they have camels too and everything. It's kind of, you understand why the circus was such a draw when, whenever it came to town. I guess the equivalent now might be um, at the Civic Center parking lot, the uh, carnival that's there every year in the spring. Yeah, the carnival that every time it comes, it rains. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's how you know the carnival's coming to Brantford, is the nonstop rain. There's never a shortage of things to do in Brantford, actually. There's a few other events that, while getting ready for this episode, that I uh, came across that I thought I'd mention. So the Eastward Echo Place Neighborhood Association is having a handmade Christmas market for the first time at Woodman Community Center on December 10th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, the Glenhurst lights, of course, will be turning on on December 2nd at 7 p.m. And they stay on till January. So that's always a lovely thing to go and see. And then something that's happening this Friday, um, but it's just the first of a series of events that they're going to be doing, is a new group called Vibrant Arc is doing a salon. And they're going to have John B. Lee, a poet there at the Glenhurst Coach House. And that's this Friday at seven o'clock till nine o'clock. We were talking when I was talking with Jennifer too, is um, just keeping an eye on the city's calendar on the website there too, because there's always so much to do, an opportunity for neighborhood associations to post events there as well. And even community can add events to that calendar. So that's a great option to find even more things to do because there's never a shortage of things to do in Bradford. This is a thing that I, I've discovered. It's, it's almost like there's too many things happening in Bradford sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there's not, uh, there's not just one place to go to hear about these things. Sometimes you can go to the city's website and hear about some great things that are happening. You can go to the library's website and hear about great programmings and things that are happening at the library. You can go to BCN, which has a, a monthly events calendar. And then for some reason, I always, uh, I always uh, got told that Brantford was the largest big town that you'll ever see. A lot of people, right? I didn't know about the villages. Like I, w- I was born in the county and I never went to the villages until I started working here at the museum. And then we went around to the villages one night and I thought, man, this is one of the the best things that, that Brantford has. And it's, it's really like one of those hidden secrets. And it's not that we try and hide these things too, right? It's uh, they're out there and they're accessible to people. Yeah, I think it's, um, there are just way too many ways to find information and it, it is hard to stay connected to all of the things that are happening just because there's a lot of things that just end up being on Facebook too that you're not seeing on those other calendars and stuff like that. I always find a lot of things to, to do and Lots of times there's so many things going on that you kind of have to pick what you want to go to because there's just too much and you can't go to everything. And we haven't even mentioned um, everything there is to do on the Grand River. I haven't done this yet, but I know people go tubing and kayaking and canoeing. And then, you know, if we're looking outside of Brantford, but within driving distance, um, like Chiefswood Park, they always have different kinds of events going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... How do we put all of this into one episode? <laughs> I think we can't possibly. And I think that the nice thing is, is there's so many things to do that don't have to cost money too, right? Like 
um, neighborhood association events for the most part, they're generally free. Um, lots of city events are free, even like things at the library or belonging brand and different groups are putting on our free activities. So there's no reason to not have anything to do for sure. You're making me feel guilty about saying that all I wanted to do was read a book at home. <laughs> That's a lovely thing to do as well. Sometimes I definitely just would like to do that as well, for sure. We're definitely heading in, into the hibernation season. So it's a, it's a good time to definitely curl up with a book at, from the library. I noticed in your interviews, Yella, as well, right? They talk, I, I describe myself as uh, I'm, I'm 40 going on 80. And I, I feel like uh, I'm, a, I'm an old person myself. They talked about how like the libraries and the magazines, right? That p- people crave the, the physical, tangible thing that they can, they can touch and interact with. And to me, that's always the really fascinating thing because me personally, like I, I prefer I want something on paper so that I can see it. The interaction or the experience that you get from a print copy versus a digital copy to me, it's like, it's vast. I'm very interested to see what's what's going to happen as a result of these uh, libraries and their work. And libraries are continually expanding their roles with the creation of maker spaces and things like that. So it's really good seeing um, them being involved in creating these uh, fun, free opportunities for people. I think that was something that I thought too when they were talking about it. Well, first, of course, I love a paper version of a book um also just what they were talking about about the social aspect of it and i get to see that on a regular basis because i am at the library a lot and and it really there is no replacement for that the library definitely brings people together for sure i always like to say that it's probably one of the few places if not kind of almost the only public space you can go to where you don't have to buy like a coffee or something else to be allowed to be in that space. Whereas, you know, if you want to go hang out at a coffee shop, you got to buy a coffee mm-hmm. and the park's only good, you know, in the spring and summer, it gets a little too cold in the winter. <laughs> yeah. I have to say one of the favorite things that, that the library does, if I actually had time so that I didn't, I didn't have to work or do anything. Oh man, I feel like I would be uh, at the library every day for the knitting group. So I could <laughs> join the knitting group. And again, it, a lot of that is like the socialization aspect of it. And coming out of the pandemic too now, people are ready, I feel like, and craving for those in-person experiences. We've been through these digital experiences throughout the pandemic and uh, people are definitely ready to get back and interact with people in person and hopefully in a safe manner. I agree. Like some people are ready and and there are still some that are not, but I think that's one of the great things about groups like um, a place to be that happen at the library on Thursday afternoons at two, whatever level you're at, very, everybody's very welcome there. And it's a really good group and it just continues to be growing. And that's really fantastic. Talking about everything we talked about in this episode, I was aware of this, but I don't think I was aware to what extent there really is something for everyone to do in this area no matter what you're interested in. So if someone says they're bored, I think think we can direct them at least (laughs) to one thing (laughs) here in Brantford. And it's a good way to get out and get integrated into the community better as well. Meet those people in your neighborhood. Well, that's it for episode six of our second season of For the Love of Brantford. 
If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to our website at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB to fill out our feedback form. Any and all suggestions are welcome. Thank you to Jennifer Middleton for telling us about the various activities the city has planned for residents. And thank you to Dana Sawchuk and Nicole Dahmer for sharing your research. Thank you for listening to this episode of For the Love of Brantford. You can find all the episodes at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB, including the show notes where we list references, share images, and provide resources to continue your exploration of Brantford. We are your hosts, Mandy Samuel, Nathan Etherington, and Zila Ozels. This is a podcast in partnership with the Eagle Place Community Association, the Brant Historical Society, and the Brantford Public Library.